wonderful, merciful Savior. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning to the book of John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And uh, we're continuing our series here in John chapter 15, Abide in Me. Uh, Over and over throughout this passage, Jesus says, Abide in Me, Abide in Me. We're going to just read one verse here as we begin, and that's verse number 11. John chapter 15, verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's think about what he says here. Let's read that again together. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Sometimes we can read through a passage of Scripture so often and not really stop and think about what it's actually saying. Jesus says here in verse number 11, he says that he wants us to have joy. But not just joy, he says that your joy might be full. To have full joy. Um, Now I will say this, if you have full joy, you will be joyful, right? But he wants us to have full joy. I wonder, though, if we were to stop and think of all the people that we know, right? I'm sure every one of us probably knows hundreds and hundreds of people. But of all those people that we know, how many of them really have full joy? I'm not just talking about being happy every once in a while. I mean really having joy. Really having joy. Do you know he wants you to? He says, I want your joy to be full. I want you to have that full joy, he says. Before we begin, let's open with prayer. Father, we do thank you that we can come this morning. Lord, we ask that you would just work in the message. And Lord, I I don't know what is going on in, in anyone's heart, Lord, other than my own. Lord, I know, Lord, many, many Christians are missing out on that fullness of joy that you offer in their lives. So, Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts and lives this morning. Uh, Lord, even those listening via live stream, that you would just work in in hearts. Lord, speak to us that we might desire to have a life full of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can you have joy in life? Wouldn't that be a great thing to have? Joy in life, right? Does joy come through a good-paying job? Does joy come through good health? Does joy come through a well-financed retirement? Does joy come through family? Does joy come through friends? Does joy come through possessions, hobbies? How can we really have joy in life, and not, not just joy, but lasting joy, a full joy? Well, if we're going to have joy, I think we have to understand what joy actually is. Because joy and happiness are not the same things, right? 
Happiness simply means to be blessed, to be fortunate, to be happy. Because happiness is based on circumstances around us, right? Somebody brings a gift to you, man, you get happy, right? There's a gift. And you get a promotion at work, man, you get happy. That's, man, that's more income. You know, something good happens, we get, we get happy. That's, it's based on circumstances that are around us. But if you'll know that happiness doesn't always last, right? Right? Because if you lose your job, you still happy? Most people aren't, right? You lose your health. Most people still happy? No. Lose something. You see, our, our happiness is based on circumstances. Good things make us be happy. Bad things cause us to lose that happiness. But joy is different. Because joy is not based upon circumstances. Joy is an inner, it's an inner gladness. It is a deep assurance and confidence that will produce a cheerful heart. Because, again, it's not based on circumstances, uh, because circumstances change. Right? Circumstances change. Health changes. Jobs change. Finances change. And so joy is not based upon circumstances. That's why if, if you have joy and you have a cheerful heart, it will also produce a cheerful countenance or a cheerful behavior, right, in our, in our life. So I want you to notice this verse here in verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So the thing that we have to really grasp about this verse, what it says here in verse number 11 is... These three words, or really if you could just say two words, my joy, right? Now, remember, who's speaking here? Remember, who's speaking in John chapter 15? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is speaking, and remember, Jesus is speaking as uh, you look in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, this is all as Jesus is just about ready to be crucified, all of this is take, taking place just hours before his crucifixion. So Jesus has been with the disciples in the upper room and they, they had the, the last supper together and then Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. He's gone out to, to the other Pharisees and he's uh, betraying Jesus for those 30 pieces of silver and then Jesus takes the other 11 disciples from that room and they begin their, their journey from that room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, we know that there in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where Jesus is going to be betrayed. Judas is going to come with those religious leaders and some soldiers, and they're going to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to take him before Caiaphas, and uh, he's going to be pronounced guilty there. And then they're going to take him before Pilate, the, the Roman uh, prefect, and then he's going to be pronounced guilty there, and then they're going to crucify him, right? This is, this is all taking place within just hours of what we're looking at. And in those hours before, Jesus says, I want you to have my joy. Uh, 
let's just, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to unpack this. He's about ready to be crucified. He's about ready to die. And he's telling them, I want you to have my joy. Did he know that he was going to be crucified? Sure he did. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified, and yet he still says, I want you to have my joy. Was his joy based upon circumstances? It wasn't. Because if his joy was based upon circumstances, like many times what we think our joy is based upon circumstances, we think, man, if we know something bad is going to happen, we're not going to be joyful. We're going to be worrying, we're going to be fretting, we're going to be wondering what's going on. We're not going to have joy. Because you see, real joy is not based upon the circumstance. Joy is based upon something that doesn't change. And that's why Jesus says this joy that he wants us to have is not just happiness. It is his joy. This is divine joy joy it's God's joy that even though he knew that Jesus was going to go to the cross he says I can still have joy and we'll see that in a few minutes but he says I can still have joy and I want you to have this joy wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great to be able to have such joy that no matter what happens I've got such joy that even if I lose my job that's not going to affect my joy I have such joy that even if a, if a loved one dies, that's not going to affect my joy. I have such joy that if I lost everything, right, if, if my house burns down, that's not going to lose my, I'm not going to lose my joy. Now, again, this is not a normal joy. That's why I said, if you, if you think about it in your mind, how many people do you really know that have that kind of joy? Not many but this is the joy that he wants us to have. This joy, this divine joy. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning. You say, you know what? I remember, I remember having that joy. I remember when I used to have that joy. I remember when, man, maybe after I got saved, after I accepted Christ as my savior, and uh, man, there was exciting and things. And, but you know, I just, I don't have that joy anymore. Well, we're going to look this morning and see how you can get that joy back. Or maybe, maybe somebody's here this morning or maybe somebody watching or whatever. And maybe the reason why you've lost that joy is because you've allowed sin into your life. And as long as we allow sin into our life, just like David, when he had committed sin, he said, I've lost the joy of my salvation. And he prayed and he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe we've lost it. And we need to get it back. I can tell you this. The devil doesn't want you to have joy. The devil wants you to be miserable. The devil wants to steal your joy from you. And the greatest way that the devil uses to steal your joy from you is something that he has always done. How does the devil steal his joy from us? Or steal our joy? He makes us think about ourselves. It all comes back to me. And when we start focusing on us, 
we start focusing on the circumstances around us and we lose our joy. I said this quote a couple weeks ago. A a great preacher by the name of Dr. Lee Robertson would say this. The secret to the Christian life is die to self, die to criticism, and die to praise. Die to self, die to criticism, and die to praise. Why? Because what is at the root of all three of those things? If I have to die to self, that means it can't be about me. If I have to die to criticism, that means it can't be about me. And I have to die to praise, that means it can't be about me. You see, the devil likes to use pride in our life to make us think that everything is about me. (laughs) God says, look, if, if you really want joy, if you really want this joy that he offers, we have to realize it's not about us. That's why he says, it's my joy. That my joy, I want to give you my joy because you're not going to find this joy in what the world has to offer. You're not going to find it in a job. You're not going to find it in a career. You're not going to find it in finances. The only place you can find this true joy is through Jesus Christ. It's his joy. And he wants that joy to remain in you. So in order to know what real joy is, if Jesus says, this is my joy, then we might want to find out what causes him to have that joy. If he says, this is my joy and I want you to have it, then what is it that caused Jesus to have that joy? Where did he get this joy from? What was it that caused him to have this joy? So that I know that I can have it as well. Well, I think this morning we're just going to look at a couple things. Notice, first of all, there was joy in his love. There's joy in his love. Think about what he says here, in, back up in verse number 9 here. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father hath loved me. Jesus says he, there was joy in the love that he had for his Father. And there was joy in the love that his Father had for him. He says, as the Father hath loved me. And think about it. We're talking about God the Father and the love that he had for God the Son. It's immeasurable. You can't measure it. We talked about that last week. But he says, in the same way, that's the same love that I have for you. Do you know his love doesn't change? His love is unchanging. You see, we can have joy in his love because his love is something that never changes. Circumstances around us will change, but his love will not. Do you realize that we didn't do anything good to make him love us? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Did he say that God loved the world because the world just really loved him? No. In fact, we didn't do anything to deserve his love. We didn't do anything to earn his love. He simply chose to love us. And he says, in the same way that the Father loves me, he says, so I love you. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know where our, our joy ought to be? In something that is unchangeable, and that is the love of Jesus Christ that he has for us. 
It doesn't change. His love never changes. And that's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say rejoice in circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice in your job or rejoice in your family or rejoice in your friends. Or No, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because Jesus never changes. His love never changes. And again, th- think with me about this. It's not about the circumstance because where is Paul when he writes, rejoice in the Lord all the way, and again I say rejoice? If you don't know, Paul is actually in a Roman prison. Good or bad circumstance? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was a good circumstance that he was in. He's in a, he's in a Roman prison. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Even when your circumstances are bad, even when we look at life and we think, man, life is just not going the way I want it. Do you know you can still rejoice in the Lord? You can still have joy because that joy is in his love and his love never changes. His love never changes. It's amazing. If you don't know his love, he wants you to know it. If you don't know the love of Jesus Christ, he wants you to know that love, that love that never changes. It's a, it's a, it's a love that you've never experienced before. People can say, oh, I love you, and what do we find? Maybe after a while they do, maybe after a while they don't. That love changed. But can I tell you, Jesus' love never changes. And he offers that to us. He wants us to know his love, and that's why he was willing to come and, and spend his life here on this earth for 33 and a half years, showing that he loved us and he cares about us, and he wants us to know him. And he wants us to be able to put our faith and trust in him. Again, we don't, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve his love. But he loves us when we are undeserving of it. And he gave himself so that we could know him. So that we could have our sins forgiven. We could put our faith in him. Not only should we have joy in his love, but may I say we should also have joy in his word. There should be joy in his word. And when, I, when I'm meaning the word, and we're going to talk about this, I'm talking about communion, and that means fellowship, right? There, there's fellowship here. There's communion in his word. Think about, hold your place here, and just turn maybe one page or, one page or two over to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 The whole chapter of 17 is a prayer. The whole chapter of 17 is Jesus praying to the Father. The whole chapter, it's a prayer. It's Jesus communing with the Father. He's fellowshipping with the Father. And I want you to come down to verse number 12 in this prayer here. And I want you to see what Jesus says. While I was with them in the world, he's talking about the disciples, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee. So Jesus understands. This is just still, we're talking about hours before his crucifixion. Hours before his death, burial, and then resurrection. And then uh, 40 days later, he's going to ascend back into heaven. All right? So what does he say? Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have, what are those next two words? My joy fulfilled 
in themselves. He says, these things I speak. Do you know why God has given us his word? So that we can know what he says. We, we weren't there when the disciples were there. We didn't have the privilege of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ on, on those dusty roads. So God says, I want to make sure you know what his word is. So I'm going to have it written down so you can have it. And he says, these things I speak in the world. Why? That they might have my joy. Do You know where you can find joy? Right here. In his word. In that communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. I want you to think about it. How many times throughout the Gospels do we find Jesus praying? Now again, remember, Jesus is God. He is, he's the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. Right? He is God, but yet we find constant communion, constant fellowship with the Father. Before he began his earthly ministry, what did he do? He's, he fasted and what for 40 days? Prayed. Fasted and prayed for 40 days. How many times do we find Jesus uh, leaving the disciples and going alone, maybe at night or something, and, and going alone and praying? Praying. Why? Because he understood how important it was to have that communion, that fellowship with the Father. Jesus wants us to understand how important it is that we have that communion, that fellowship with him. Because, again, his word, just as his love never changes, his word doesn't change. His word is true. It never changes. And so that's why he wants us to be in his word. Uh, again, John chapter 17, the longest prayer recorded by Jesus. Not, not the longest prayer, probably, that Jesus ever prayed, but the longest prayer that we have recorded by Jesus. The whole chapter 17. Over and over, Jesus praying alone. Why? Because to truly have his joy, we must be in communion with him. We must abide in him. Do you know why many Christians don't have joy? Because they don't have time for this. If you don't have time for his word, if you don't have time for prayer, if you don't have time for fellowship, if you don't have time to, to commune with the Lord, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have it. You can look for it in anything that you want and you will not have it. Oh, you might have happiness for a short period of time, but you're not going to have true joy because your happiness is just going to be based on something that will change. Circumstances. Think about this. Right here in verse, number, in verse number 13, he says, These things I speak in the world that they might have my joy. What did we just read back in 15 verse number 11? These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? Twice. Twice in just two short passages, he said, Look, if you want my joy, you need to get into what I'm saying. I'm saying these things so that you can have my joy. And yet, what do we do? Well, I just don't have time. 
Look, if you think that, if you think that by coming to, to church on Sunday, that somehow that's going to be able to sustain you and you're going to be able to like, all right, yeah, I, I came to church on Sunday and so, you know, the message was good and the singing was good. Now I've got real joy, right? You know what's going to happen on Monday? You're, you're going it, to, it's not going to be good. Now, I, I understand, you know, people like, you know, all oh, the weekend's over and now we've got to go back to work on Monday. I understand that there's always that, you know, that drop off, of, you know, just got to go back to work. But why, why, is that for, why is that for a Christian that we just dread Mondays if our joy is in Christ? Because if my joy is in him, it's not based upon circumstances, whether I work or not. My joy is in Christ. And so, man, Sunday, I'm going to have joy. Yes, I can have joy and, and I can be in his word and I can sing praises and things like that. But my joy is not here. If, your joy, if you think joy is in a building or if you think joy, well, you know, I listened to the message and, and I listened to the singing. So now I've got that. No, no, no. You, you've missed it. Joy is in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is walking in the spirit day by day. Joy is being able on Monday to get into his word and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, what, what can I learn about you? Lord, what, what, what do you want me to learn about? Lord, spend time in prayer. Praying, communing with God. You say, well, I, just, I just don't have time for that. I just, you know, I've got work and I've got family and I've got all this. Then you're not going to have joy. You will not have joy if you're not communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says over and over and over, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. So really, maybe the question we ought to ask ourselves is, do we really want joy? Do we really want joy? Or do we just want to keep on this roller coaster ride up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and Oh, it's exciting, and oh, I'm depressed. No, it's exciting, and oh, I'm discouraged. And oh, it's exciting, and no, it's... Is that really how we want to live life? Because I can tell you, the way that I talk to most people, it's not fun. That's not how most people want to live. So what do we need to do? We need to find out how to have his joy. Because if he can just hours before he's going to the crucifixion, hours before he's going to take the sin of the world upon himself, say, I want you to have my joy. And I want that joy to be full. I think he's got something that we don't have. And he wants to give that to us. He's offering that, that joy that can only be found in him. Joy in his love, joy in his word. But can I say, thirdly, there's also joy in his purpose. Joy in his purpose. You know that he has a purpose and a plan for each person. Not only does God know who you are, not only does God know your name, not only does God know every hair on your head, or lack thereof. God says, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a purpose. He has a plan for your life. And joy 
will come in fulfilling his purpose for our life. There's a specific purpose that he wants you to fulfill for him. Now, look, I'm just going to say, that, that's, an, that's amazing, right? That is, that, is, that is absolutely dumbfounding to me. That the creator of the universe, God himself, not only knows and cares about me and is willing to save me from my sin, but then he says, hey, you know what? I have a purpose for you and I want to use you. I don't have anything to offer you, God. I have nothing to offer you. I have no talents. I have no abilities. I don't have anything, God. He said, that's okay. You don't have to have anything. I got it all. I just want to use you. I want to use you. And if you'll let me use you, can I tell you, you will have the absolute greatest time in all the world. You'll have joy if you'll let me use you. But God, I don't, I don't have anything. I, I don't have anything to offer you. I, I can't talk well. I can't do anything well. I don't have any talent. God says, that's okay. I've got all that taken care of if you'll just let me use you. If you'll just do what I have planned for your life. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I believe this is probably the problem with most Christians. Right here. We do not want to fulfill God's plan for our life. Now, if you were to ask most people, hey, do you want to fulfill God's plan? I guarantee you, 99.9% of the Christians would say, yes, absolutely. With our mouth. But not with our heart. You know why we don't want to fulfill God's plan? Because it messes up our plans. You know why we don't want to follow what God wants for us? Because it's not what we want. Remember what I say? The secret of the Christian life is die to self, die to criticism, die to praise. You see, it's pride. It's all about me. And if I'm going to have joy, I can't have pride. If I'm going to have his joy, it's going to be hard if I'm filled with pride. And so he says, I have a plan for you. I want you to watch this. This this is absolutely amazing. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Because here's the thing. If we aren't fulfilling the purpose that he has for our life, we will not have joy. We won't. Again, you can look for it anywhere you want. You can look for it in success. You can look for it in pleasure. You can look for it any place that you want and you won't find real joy. You're not going to find it because it's his. He says, it's my joy. And if it's his, then he's the only one that can give it. And he's trying to give that to us so that we can have that full joy. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, look what he says here. Looking unto Jesus Right? So we're not looking at a job, we're not looking at a career, we're not looking at finances, we're not looking at whether things are good or bad or whatever. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking unto who? Jesus. It's kind of hard to look unto Jesus if I'm filled with pride. Right? It's kind of hard to look unto Jesus if I'm always thinking about myself. What about me? What do I get out of it? 
how do I feel about it? Wait a minute. No, no, no. Looking unto Jesus. That's who we should be looking at. Why? Again, his love never changes. His word never changes, right? So that's who we should be looking at. But watch what he says here. The author and finisher of our faith, and praise God for that, right? Our, our, our faith, our salvation is not based upon us. It's based upon him. You don't, you don't get saved coming to First Baptist Church. Praise the Lord for that, right? We get saved when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But watch. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice that phrase there? For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. And again, it's, it's almost like this, this doesn't really go together. For the joy that was set before him, then what's the very next word? The very next word is what? Endured. What? The joy that was set before him endured. How does joy and enduring go together? I mean, we think if we're enduring something, we're not enjoying it, right? If we're enduring it, we're just kind of like, oh, I got to go through this, right? You ever had family functions like that? You know, you got together and like, oh, we got to get together with that side of the family, you know, and uh, it's just like, okay, we're going to go and we're just going to hold on and endure, right? And there ain't no joy in it at all, right? We are enduring. But he says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What joy is he speaking of here? What joy that was set before him that he would be able to endure the cross? Because let's face it, the cross was not something that Jesus was just excitedly looking forward to. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Does that sound like he's really looking forward to it? Can't wait to go to the cross. No, no. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why? Because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that your sin and my sin and the sin of the world was going to be placed upon him who was sinless? And that when your sin and my sin was put upon him, that the Father would turn his back on him because he could not look at sin. Sounds really joyful, doesn't it? No. It doesn't. So then, where's the joy come from? Where's the joy here? Because he says, for the joy that was set before him. If the joy is not in the circumstance, if the joy is not in what's happening, where's the joy? 
The joy is in fulfilling God's purpose. Because Jesus knew that through the cross, through taking your sin and my sin upon himself, he knew that that was the only way that man could be redeemed. He knew that even though, yes, this was something that was going to to, to cause great pain to him, he knew it was something that he didn't even want to, to go through because of the separation that it was caused between him and the Father and taking your sin. Imagine the vile, the most vile sins of the world placed upon the innocent Son of God who had done no sin. And then multiply that by millions upon millions and billions upon billions. And all of that sin was placed upon him. And the father turned his back. Could not look at his own son because of our sin. And yet the Bible says he endured the cross. He willingly did it. Why? For the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy in fulfilling God's plan for his life. How many times did Jesus say, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. My work is to finish the work that God has sent me to do. There was a purpose for Jesus coming and Jesus said, I want to fulfill that purpose and that's what brings me joy in being able to fulfill the purpose that God has for my life. Because through fulfilling that purpose, you and I are able to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. By fulfilling that purpose, you and I, if we're willing to put our faith and trust in Him, can know that we'll be with him for all of eternity. And he said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What's God's purpose for your life? Because if we're not fulfilling God's purpose, we just said God has a purpose for every one of our lives. Every one of us, God has a purpose for our life. But if we're not fulfilling it, we're not going to have that joy. So how do we find his purpose? You say, Pastor, I'd like to know what God's purpose is for my life. I've been wondering myself, why am I here? What is my purpose? Is my purpose just to live my life the best that I can? Is my purpose just to, to have fun? Is my purpose just to to try to be good, what is my purpose? What's my purpose here? Go back to to John chapter 15. I just want to show you one purpose, just one, right? That is the same for every one of us, right? One purpose that I want to show you that's the same for every one of us, okay? Because then we're going to talk a little bit more specific here. Back in John chapter 15, notice what Jesus says in verse number 8. Herein is my Father, what's that next word? Glorified. Do you know what your purpose is? You know what my purpose is? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you know what your purpose is? 
to glorify God. Your purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. That means at work, guess what your purpose is? Not to do your job. That's not your purpose. Your purpose at your job is to glorify God. You know what your purpose is at home? Not to, not to raise your children right and to teach them to do good. No, no, no. You know what your purpose is at home? To glorify God. That's what your purpose is, to glorify God. What's the purpose of church? Is the purpose of church just to come and sing and, and listen? No, no, no. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. To glorify God. You see, our purpose in life as a child of God, in everything we do, it doesn't matter what it is, in everything we do is to glorify God. And if I'm not glorifying God, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. And if I'm not fulfilling my purpose, there's going to be no joy. Because we have a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to fulfill his plan for our life. Now, yes, specifically, that may be different for many people. God's not going to say everybody has to be a pastor like me. God's not going to say everybody has to go to a a different country like some of these missionaries. No, no, that that is going to be different for everybody. But it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you you clean the church. It doesn't matter if you help in the nursery. It doesn't matter if you you go to work and you work in a factory. It doesn't matter if you go to a, a car lot and you sell cars. Your purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. That's our purpose. That's going to be different for everybody in whatever aspect you're in. But everyone has the same purpose to glorify God. And that's why Jesus was able to endure the cross. Huh. And I'm, please don't think I'm making light of this. I'm not. You think working in a nursery with babies is tough, right? You think working with preschool kids, you think working in junior church, you think working in Sunday school, you think working with the teens, that may be a little, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you think working with people, you think that's tough? Think about what Jesus did for you, that he endured the cross. Now, tell me why you can't glorify him. When he endured the cross for your sin and my sin, how can we say, God, you can't tell me what to do with my life. It's my life. I get to do what I want to with it. See, it always goes back to me, doesn't it? It's always me. Instead of looking unto Jesus. Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Because here, let me, can I say this really quick? I think something that we think when we talk about fulfilling God's purpose is somehow we think God is looking for perfection. Can I tell you, he's not looking for Perfection. He's not expecting you to be perfect. Because none of us are. 
He's not looking for perfection. He's simply looking for obedience and faith. Will I obey him? Will I believe him and trust him? Will it be about him? Or will it be about me? Are you missing real joy? He wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. Lord, maybe there's someone today that does not know Christ as their Savior. They've never experienced your love. Lord, would you speak to their heart? With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking about, maybe there is someone here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I would go if I died. I don't think I've ever experienced Christ's love like you're talking about. I, I hope I would go to heaven. I hope I would be there, but I'm not really sure. You say, Pastor, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm concerned about that. I'm not really sure where I would be. Friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything but I would like to pray for you. And if there's someone here today, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not really sure. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Nobody else is looking about. Just slip it up and put it right back down. Pastor, I'm not really sure. Would you pray for me? He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know that he loves you And that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. But you have to be willing to accept it. He's not going to force you to. Christian, what about you this morning? You say, Pastor, yes, I know. There's no doubt in my mind that I would go to heaven. There's no doubt. I know for sure where I would go. Then may I ask you this morning, are you living with real joy? Do you have that full joy? Or do you find yourself on a roller coaster up and down and up and down and up and down? Never really experiencing that full joy in Christ. Friend, he wants you to. And you can find that joy in his love. You can find that joy in his word. You can find that joy in fulfilling his purpose for your life. But again, he's not going to force you to have it. He offers it, but you have to be willing to take it. Are you satisfied with your life? Or is there something missing? There's joy missing in your life. Father, I pray you'd work in the invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
We're going to stand to our feet quietly this morning.